We're glad you've joined us today as we continue our study through the book of Romans. We are in uh, chapter 11, so I invite you to open your Bibles, go, go grab your Bible if you don't have it next to you. Um, we're calling our series Not Adrift, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Romans 11. So, here we go. Let's read that. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can come to it day after day, uh, hour after hour, week after week, and know that it is true and it is faithful because it is your word. So our, our hope and our request of you during this time is that you'll open our eyes that we will see what you'd have us see and that you would open our ears so that we will hear what you'd have us hold on to and know. And God, that you'd open our hearts so that Christ might prevail in all. For it is in his name that we ask. Amen. It is perhaps the quintessential Twilight Zone episode. You uh, pull in your driveway after work and you get out of your car and you walk into your house and your family only to find that no one knows who you are. You recognize them, but they are frightened and scared because of this stranger that's walked into their home. Um, no one knows no one recognizes. It's as if you have been forgotten. You have been forsaken. Or maybe you're, you grow to be a little uncertain. Maybe you're just losing it. Maybe you're insane. Now that's a Twilight Zone episode. What is most frightening is when the one who loves you the most, knows you the best, has rejected you. Well, today in our series we're calling Not Adrift, we are looking at the fact that not only in Christ is a soul not adrift, but um, you are never forgotten. 
you're never forgotten. Um, this is the issue that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Has God rejected Israel? Has he for, forgotten or forsaken the people of the promise? And here in chapter 11, we learn that there is indeed a future for the Jews, and that future is a part of God's plan. So as we get started, I just I want to mention uh, we're going to we are going to look at five aspects of God's faithful plan, five aspects of God's faithful plan. And um, and as Paul addresses once again the issue of Israel, uh, I will just say that the, the, the primary purpose of his writing here is just that. But there is an underlying current about the aspects and the nature and characteristic of God, how he chooses, how he loves those he chooses, that is relevant to non-Jews, um, to those that... Um, are looking for hope, that are maybe feeling forsaken and forgotten. So, so let's, let's go ahead and begin as we, as we kind of pull this passage apart. The first thing I want you to notice is the question. The question. Paul has been asking questions throughout this, this, uh, these three chapters, and he does so once again in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people. That's at the heart of what he's addressing. Uh, we have said in the past that it's a, it's a pretty basic and a pretty obvious question. Um, the early church was comprised of 100% Jewish converts, Jewish men and women who had placed their faith in the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And um, they didn't, they did not see themselves necessarily as um, a new group. They just saw themselves, they had, they had faith in the, the promised one, in God's promised Messiah. And so Paul asked the question once again, has God rejected these people? Why are they no longer coming to the church in, in, in great numbers um, in fact, as you look at the history of the church, Paul wrote this somewhere in the mid-50s A.D., the, uh, the percentage of Jewish believers would have been decreasing for some time now. And so, obvious, what is up with Israel? What is up with the Jews? So that's the question, has God rejected his people? And his answer begins in the very next line, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So the second aspect of it, as Paul addresses God's faithful plan, is he says, look at me. I'm an answer to the question. Has God rejected his people, no, he didn't reject me. He chose me. He saved me on the road to, on the road to Damascus. 
He struck me blind. He made me his. I am a Jew. I am not just a, a part-time Jew. I was all in, committed, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Elsewhere, Paul informs us that he was a Pharisee. Uh, he describes himself as, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was a committed Jewish believer, and here he is. God had not given up on him. So Paul is an answer to the question, has God rejected his people? Verse 2. In verse 2 through 5, we see the third um, aspect of God's faithfulness. It's, it's, it's enveloped in the question. It's seen in Paul's life himself. Next, he, he writes, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Believing Jews give answer to the question. Just as Paul gives answer to the question, so too do believing Jews give answer to the question, has God rejected his people? He, he goes back to the times of Elijah. This is out of 1 Kings 19. Shortly after God challenged the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel, and um, God vindicated his servant Elijah. And as Elijah goes off, he gets word that Queen Jezebel has taken a blood oath that she will see Elijah dead. And, and Elijah becomes a tad despondent, very sad, maybe even depressed. He hides in a, in a, in a cave and uh, he seeks to hear from God. And through a series of natural events, he wonders if, if these are the voice of God. And time after time, it was God was not in. Until finally, he hears a whisper. And God was in the whisper, the still, small voice. And Elijah lays out his complaint. God, I'm the only one. And the sense is, after all I've done for you, all of those that... that have, have said they are your people, have rejected you, they have rejected me, and I'm who's left. And God answers him in verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. It is a powerful answer to Elijah's desperate plea. Am I the only one? And God says, absolutely not. I've got 7,000 others that are ready to stand for me. The idea here, and in fact, in verse 5, Paul uses the word, is that of a remnant. That God has, in Isaiah, says that I have always had my remnant. And indeed he has. The 7,000 plus Elijah would be God's remnant, though it seems like all have deserted and abandoned God and there's no one left. God keeps his remnant. 
He, we, we read the word uh, here for new. We read the word. We've talked about this. Chosen, verse 5, the remnant is chosen by grace. There's something to this, and there's something for us to remember that we don't come to God necessarily just because we think it's a good thing to do. We come to God through his grace. And, and as he, Paul describes in chapter 9, we come to God because God has loved us. He has foreknown us with an everlasting love. He has come to us and made us his. And that's Paul's point God always has a group of people that he has chosen, that he has taken unto himself. And though the situation looks dire, God has a plan. And he is faithful to that plan. And if you were to look in connection to Israel, to, to, to Jews today, you would see that even in our day, there are Jewish disciples, Jewish followers of Jesus Christ in our church. We have some, um, some who were raised Jewish and, um, and have been basically disowned by their families, uh, disregarded. But they are followers. They have found the Messiah promised in the Jewish scripture. God would say, my remnant, my remnant. God always has his remnant. So there's this question, has God rejected Israel? Paul gives himself as the first answer to that question. No, look at me. He, um, he then turns to other believing Jews and gives them as an answer to the question. The fourth aspect of this is that no one is saved by anything but grace alone. No one is saved by anything but grace alone. Look at, again at verse 5. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Um, I, I, I want to I make this point because there, there are some... We'll, we'll get into this next time. There are future implications to what Paul writes here in Romans 11. And um, as, a, as a teenager who first really uh, became attentive and somewhat at times immersed in Scripture and preaching and teaching and writing about all things, what I believed at the time were all things Christian. Part of that all things were in times and what was going to happen and how God was going to deal with Israel. And there were all kind of fanciful, uh, fascinating ideas of what, how God was going to turn again to Israel, which indeed he is. Again, we'll see it next time. He states it here in this chapter. But the way it was presented by, by various teachers, 
and evangelist, I look back now and I go, how do they get this? There is amongst a small group this idea that when God turns his attention back to Israel, there will be this uh, return to the law and that Israel will look to the law and be saved once again by the law, that there will be this reestablishing of temple worship in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And that's where they will come to encounter God. And I would just say there is no return to the law for salvation for the Jews or anybody else because the law never did save anyone. You can't return to something that never was. The New Testament is very clear that the purpose of the law was to show the Jews and subsequently Gentiles, we cannot measure up, we cannot keep God's perfect word. We've used this language throughout our study. There must come a time, whatever your religious background is, where you recognize I need something outside of myself to save me, to forgive me, to redeem me, to connect me to God himself. I cannot do it. I can't keep the law. I, 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 I'm, I'm an imperfect being. That's the purpose of the law. So there will be no turning again to the law for salvation. There will be no turning again. Why would, why would God reestablish temple worship when the one that the temple represents was a shadow of the, the one who is greater than the temple, the Lord Jesus Christ, is here? Paul's point is that no one will be saved apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. When Israel re returns to God, when God turns his focus again to the Jewish people, it will be through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone claims salvation apart from Christ, they are not saved. They do not know Yahweh. Really important. What, what Israel missed was grace. Grace through faith in Christ alone. Which leads us to the fifth aspect of the, God's faithful plan. And that is the reason Christ is rejected. Look, at, look with me at verse 8. As it is written, and he quotes the 69th Psalm here, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Why? Why has Israel, why have the Jews rejected Christ? It is through a hardened heart. 
They have gone their own way. They have rejected the very Lamb of God. Um, it, it, it is uh, no coincidence, you may recall, that, uh, that in chapter 10, Paul tells us that the Jews indeed have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they were ignorant of the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness. That's the miss. That's the miss in ancient Jews. It's the miss in current Jew, with current Jews. It's the miss with current church-going people that don't know Christ, who seek to establish a righteousness of their own. People that might be excited, people that might be um, invested in church work and in ministry and um, in, in wanting to do the right thing, but they are, they are trusting their own righteousness and not in Christ and Christ alone. So here we are. I want to. I want to take, and we'll. Paul, Paul's going to readdress much of what we looked at today, but I want to close out our time by um, by by giving you four applications to um, to take and to hold on to and to sift what we've looked at today through your own filter, through your own life. Okay. The first application is this. This is personal. This is personal. Uh, it was personal for Paul in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the Jews, is that they may be saved. And here in chapter 11, has God rejected his people? By no means. By no means. This is personal for Paul. Well, what's personal for Paul? The fact that these people, the people of his ethnic, his ethnic identity, the people that he was raised with, raised around, have rejected their Savior. In seeking to build a righteousness of their own, they have rejected the righteousness that God has provided. And I just belabor this to say, this is personal for you and it's personal for me. And we need to recognize that. What we're talking about here, salvation by grace alone, is personal. This is God's way. This is his only way. It's personal. It is relevant. It applies to us. Second application the question asked is critical. The question asked is critical. At the heart of Romans 9, 10, and 11, here's the underlying question. Does God really know what he's doing? 
Does God know what he's doing? <laughs> when we arrived in chapter 9, we made the connection to recognize that it's an obvious question. Uh, in chapter 8, Paul goes into great detail about the depth of God's love for his people and the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And he goes immediately into our chapter 9 and, uh, and addresses the very relevant issue. What about the Jews? God said he loved them with an everlasting love. What about them? And if, and if God could reject the Jews, if he could forsake the Jews, why couldn't he? And why wouldn't he forsake those that are in Christ? Does God really know what he's doing? Is he consistent? Can he be trusted? And really, because this is personal, you may just want to ask, hey, can I trust him? Can I trust him? It is such an important, critical question. Can you and I trust God? And you probably will not, it'll be it can be difficult coming to that answer apart from this third application point. And I know we haven't gotten to this, but I just want to give a little shadow of what's to come. Um, and that's this. God's ways are beyond us. God's ways are beyond us. Paul wraps up this whole three-chapter uh, discussion where the underlying question is, can God be trusted? In, uh, in here back in the end of chapter 11, in verse 33, he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. God's ways are beyond us. That's Paul's answer. And that um, if you struggle and you wonder why God doesn't just consult you and uh, come to you and get your opinion on why he does what he does and how he does what he does and the results of what he does. It's because he doesn't have to. He's God. And it's because even if he did, you wouldn't understand because you're not God. In other words, this means that God doesn't consult us. The Jews could, example, the Jews could not conceive of Gentiles being saved. They could never understand. Again, we'll get into this next time, how the fact that God would turn away from his chosen people to a people that were seen as reprobates and filthy and dirty. God's going to save them. God's going to love them. How dare he? And there's prob there are probably things in your life that you go, I don't get it, God. Why would you do this? Why would you do this to me? Why would you pull the rug out from underneath my feet? Why? Why would this happen? Why would that happen? 
God's ways are beyond us. And if you can't humbly submit yourself to that fact, you are going to live a frustrated life. If, if you think God has to explain his ways to you, you don't understand God. Final application is this. Even though God's ways are beyond, are beyond us, his invitation is open. His invitation is open. Um, again, uh, I look at verse 6. And he says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. His invitation to you and me is to lay down your good works, lay down your efforts in terms of seeking redemption through them. Good works have a, indeed have a place in our relationship to Christ, but they come as a result of being in Christ by grace through faith and not in order to be in Christ. They are the result of our faith, not the genesis of our faith. They are not what saves us. They are the, what plays out as a result of being saved. You may be familiar with uh, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, and I, and I just want to quote um, a couple of lines from this tremendous hymn. Listen to these powerful lyrics. Not the labor of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior. Or I die. Oh, may we be washed by the Savior's blood. If you have never trusted in Christ and Christ alone, I, I, I encourage you, I plead with you, don't trust in the labor of your hands. No matter how zealous you are for the things that you seek salvation in, no matter how emotional you get over, over things that shake your soul, all for sin, they cannot atone. Christ must save and Christ alone. May that be our song. May that be our cry to the Lord. Let's go to him now. Father, we, um, we thank you for the fact that there is a significant population of people alive today, um, our Jewish friends, who, like so many church-going men and women, seek right to be found righteous by their own works and their own efforts and their own labors. And the reason is because in the hardness of hearts, they have rejected 
your grace. They have rejected your Savior, their promised Messiah. God, we pray for the day when you turn once again back to Israel. Lord, may you find your people today faithful. And Lord, in that we will find solace and we will find rest because our rest is you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for being with us. We're going to close out as we worship the Lord through song. I look forward to being with you next time. May he bless you.